0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents, Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I'm going to get in the Word tonight. Is that alright if I just just jump right in the Word and not take a whole lot of time to jump in the Word? But I'm going to open my Bible tonight. I really have, over the last several uh, months and even uh, pretty much this whole entire year, the Lord, or at least probably seven, eight months of this year, have had the Lord continue to speak to me from a passage of Scripture in Matthew, and we're going to develop that further. No way I'm going to be able to exhaust it tonight, what I want to share with you, but I saw some fresh things again uh, in it just recently, and I want to kind of just give this as a jumping-off point and then continue to unfold some things as this conference begins to unfold. I really believe the Word of God is powerful. I believe it changes us. Don't you believe it? But Matthew 3 is that chapter I want to go to. If you'll open there, let's open our Bibles to the third chapter of the book of St. Matthew. And uh, I've been developing this for, like I said, several months, but it continues to just grow on me. If you're watching our television program, we've been dealing with some of the things on the program uh, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, if the Lord willing, we may use some of the footage from this church, even uh, as we're shooting live tonight. Uh, But if you're watching by way of television, we are in Princeton, West Virginia Cornerstone Family Church with Pastor Scott Susie Catron. And we just are absolutely thrilled to be here we believe this is a great great church if you live in this area you owe it to yourself to get here for a service at least and taste and see that the lord is good i'm telling you the music the worship was absolutely jamming a couple minutes ago i've already seen it blew the shoes off your pastor it's about to knock my socks off let's say hallelujah come on somebody It don't scare me if you respond, hallelujah. But Matthew 3, let's begin reading verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, and make his path straight." The same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about Jordan, and and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruit, meat for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unrepentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his foregather gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me And Jesus answering and said unto him, Suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lighting upon him, and, lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased. Now, that's a powerful piece of scripture to me and I'm gonna take my time and and just begin to unpack this a little bit. Uh, it's difficult for me to see you too much so if you throw stuff on I'll be able to see you. the lights are kind of glaring off of my glasses a little bit so I won't even have to fear your faces tonight. How's that? Hallelujah. If I fall off the platform somebody come get me. But John the Baptist to me is probably one of the most pivotal characters I believe in human history. I think Jesus said this about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. He said of those born of women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. Yet I say to you that he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is." Now that's a powerful statement. Jesus would make the statement concerning John the Baptist and he would say of those that are born of women, of all the old covenant prophets, of all those that were born of women, of all the men of God that ever walked, he said there's not a greater than John the Baptist. Yet I say to you that he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Touch your neighbor and say, you're greater than John the Baptist tonight. It's not my words, it's Jesus' words some of the most powerful people in the world are in this room tonight you just don't know it yet but if somebody don't start telling you how powerful you are I don't think you'll ever be able to believe it. But when you begin to hear that, it'll start to develop something inside of you. And the reason that was is because you and I are privileged to live in a different covenant than John the Baptist lived in because the scripture says all the law and the prophets, Matthew 11 said all the law and the prophets, prophesied up until John. And up until then, violent men seized the kingdom by force. And the word there until, if you read it in some other translations, it says all the law and the prophets prophesied until John. Some translation says. It culminated in John. It found its totality. It found its summation in John the Baptist. And he said, up until then, violent men took the kingdom by force. It's amazing to me that in the years I've been in ministry, we've come through different phases of preaching the kingdom, especially back in the 80s. It was really about warfare. And what we did was we said, come on, folks, uh, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent will take it by force. And I'd get people in a lather by getting them ready for a fight. You could get people reunified when you get them ready for a fight. Come on, folks, uh, let's storm the gates of hell. You know, by the time we're done pumping you up, you feel like you could take hell with a water pistol. Somebody at least smile at me. Hallelujah. and and the reality we we, we pumped it all up but really what he's saying in Matthew 11 is that up until John you had to seize the kingdom in other words it came through the sweat and labor and the fight the claw and scratching trying to get God to do something but he really is shifting gears in Matthew 11 and he begins to say to them come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden the last part of that chapter says and I will give you rest I think who he's talking to is people who thought that they had to fight claw scratch and get the kingdom of God because that's how you had to do it under an covenant but something was about to change and I like how it says it in the message Bible it says are you tired are you weary are you burned out on religion Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. Hallelujah. That to me is powerful because what he's simply saying is you used to have to fight, claw, press, struggle, sweat, labor, work, everything to try to get God to do something. But now we've come to a new covenant. We don't receive it because of our struggle and because of our labor we receive because it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And it's through the unforced rhythm of grace that we simply begin to receive it. God's more anxious to give to us than we are to receive it. You know, I tell you, the Lord has really, in the last several weeks, begin to drop the word receive in my heart. And, you know, uh, the Lord said to me, there's a lot of people that, that, uh, uh, you know, that, that have a whole lot more than you and I have. And I said, Lord, why is that? Why does it seem that people seem to access it better than sometimes we do? He said, because uh, uh, you haven't learned really how to receive. And I said, Lord, uh, what do you mean? He said, you've learned how to take. You've learned how to be aggressively struggling to press in. And listen, I'm not against, you know, those that diligently seek the Lord. You know that he's a reward of them that diligently seek. Seek him. But what I begin to really hear the Lord say is, I'm really looking for somebody that will put themselves in a posture to receive. And I got to thinking about how even I give altar calls. And I'll say things like, and I'm not fighting with how we do it, but I'll say, Come to Jesus and give him your life. And, and, I, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that I'm not sure you really got a life to give him. Because when you usually walk down a church aisle, it's because you've got more yours out, and you ain't got much of a life to give, him. you've got a bunch of death, come on, a bunch of mess, a bunch of stink. So I've been given altar calls like this. I'm saying come to Jesus and receive his life. Maybe it's not so much about you giving him his, or you giving him yours, as it is you receiving his life. Because Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He spoke to him and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I mean, we need to learn how to simply receive what's already ours through the finished work of the cross of Calvary. I believe that's the unforced rhythm of grace. Now, I'm really trying to cut through some fat here, but the message that John was declaring in Matthew 3 was a message of repentance. It literally was, and when when I say that, uh, when I think about the word repent, let me grab my water here real quick, because I really hate a dry preacher, and you've heard me say that before, right? (laughs) Hallelujah. But uh, John the Baptist was declaring, repent, change the way you think, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can I set this over here? Is this all right? If I do that? He said, repent, the Greek word for repent here is more than come to an altar of prayer. And I believe in that. Again, I, you feel like you've got to qualify everything you say these days. I believe in that. But how I many of there is a lot of people who come to an altar of prayer who have a godly sorrow that never repent? Yeah. And what I mean by that is that the word repent here carries with it the idea of more than just coming to an altar and crying. It is a Greek word, metanoia, and it means you must change the way you think. So what John is coming on the scene as the last and the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets is he's coming on the scene with this message, change the way you think. Because the moment you change the way you think, the kingdom of heaven is within your reach. And when the way the Lord began to open this whole text up to me was he simply said this, he said the kingdom of God is one mind shift away, it is one paradigm shift away. I think the tragedy today to me in the American church is that we preach the gospel and we reduce it simply to this. The gospel is a get out of hell free card or a ticket to heaven card. And let me say to you, so you don't start throwing tomatoes that I believe that's part of the message. I do believe that when you give your heart to Jesus, you have escaped the wrath to come and you got a ticket to heaven. But see, the tragedy to me is is that we've reduced it to either a get-out-of-hell-free card or a ticket-to-heaven card, and we forget this whole thing called abundant life. And living, perhaps, in the reality of the kingdom of God right here and right now, we forget that God may want to give us the abundant life right here, so that heaven, to me, is not just where you go when you die. Heaven is where you went when you got born again. Because you got translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. And to me, salvation is not just being, I got a ticket to heaven. Salvation means total and complete deliverance. So I got saved years ago at an altar of prayer. But how many know He's still saving us? Because when I got born again, right then, that moment of repentance, Pastor Scott, I got translated out of the kingdom of darkness. And I got translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. Somebody say, I'm already in the kingdom if I'm born again. I'm already in the kingdom if I'm born again. See, what I want you to do is not just realize I'm in the kingdom. I want you to access everything it has and begin to realize that God is not just interested in getting you to heaven one day. He's interested in you becoming an exporter and not just a consumer of the kingdom. How I many of we've been kingdom consumers and not kingdom exporters? We become, come on, kingdom, we want, in other words, it's all about what we can receive and that's part of the package. But how many of you receive, we need to learn how to release the kingdom of God so that everything around us gets infected by the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like leaven. When you get the leaven in it, it's going to affect everything that's around it. The kingdom of God is organic. When you get the kingdom of God in it, it's more than some political power. It's not just in the White House or in some political system. The kingdom of God is in your house and it's in your life and when you walk in the room you're a game-changer you're powerful you've got something inside of you if you're greater than John the Baptist you're a game-changer tonight (laughs) hallelujah everywhere you go you carry something of the presence and the glory of God so that the kingdom of God comes into circumstances when you walk into church uh, come on in a hospital room it's a game-changer I wish we could start to elevate our thinking and begin to change the way we think so we can access the kingdom of God. John the Baptist is saying, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. What he was beginning to do was introduce to us that there's something about the shift upon the scene of human history. Man, I'm just a fool, I don't know how to unravel and unpack all of this tonight. Good thing we got three services, right? I tried to remind myself I don't have to unpack it all in one night. But hallelujah, the reality of it is, as John the Baptist began to say, he, said, he began to speak that, he's talking to an audience here that was primarily Jewish. He's talking to Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees who are coming out to hear this crazy guy preach a message that's different than what we're preaching, or what they were preaching. They're saying to them, repent because everything you've been waiting on is about to come on the scene. How many of they had an expectancy that the kingdom was coming? Matter of fact, several places in the scripture the Bible said that they thought the kingdom of God would immediately appear. They came to Jesus in Luke 17, and they said stuff like this. The Bible said, Luke 17, and when he was demanded of the scribes and Pharisees, when will the kingdom come? He answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Neither will they say, lo here or lo there, for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is within you. And so they came to Jesus, and here's the question they asked, when will the kingdom come? The answer that Jesus gives them, now let me say this, here's how we'd ask it in today's vernacular. We would say, Lord, when are we going to the kingdom? You might ought to get the car started, Jason. He's getting real quiet in here. When, see, that's how we think, Lord, when are we going to go to the kingdom? But that's not the question. See, we sometimes we shoot these scribes and Pharisees down. But the, the reality of it is they weren't saying, when will the kingdom When are we going to the kingdom? They said, when will the kingdom come? Because they had an expectancy that the kingdom was coming. Now, what they thought was that he was going to come and lead some kind of an insurrection or revolt against the Roman Empire and save them like many of the kings had before. But this time, the kingdom was going to be different than anything they'd ever seen. And Jesus begins to say to them, the kingdom of God does not come through observation. Something powerful went off in my spirit when he said that. Now, what the first thing that you would think is the kingdom of God does not come with visible display or outward or open display. And that's what you would think that means. It does not come with observation. But if you look to your right hand or you look to your left, you're seeing the kingdom because the kingdom of God is not just a location. It is the people who are under the dominion and authority and lordship of the king. So the kingdom of God's in this room. And so when he says the kingdom of God does not come with observation, all of a sudden, Galatians, I believe it is chapter 3, begin to hit my spirit. Galatians 3 and 4, he says, concerning the Galatians, he begins to say, I'm afraid of you because you have gone back up under the law. And he said, you have, you have gone back to observing laws and feasts and months. And when I begin to hear that, I heard the Lord say, the kingdom of God does not come through the observance of Old Covenant ritual. Now stay with me a little bit, because what he's really, what John is introducing here is the paradigm shift between New Covenant, or between Old Covenant and New Covenant. He's trying to shift these religious dudes who think they already got it together, and he's saying to them, you need to repent. He's not talking to drug dealers and prostitutes. He's talking to religious folk. And he's saying to them, you need to change the way you think, because the moment you change the way you think, you're going to access." Hallelujah, a whole different form of government. Because what has governed you for 1,500 years is about to shift because you've been governed by the observances of laws and rules and regulations and old covenant rituals and diver's washings. But something's about to happen right on the scene of this location that's about to shift everything from what you used to do to a whole brand new way of doing and hearing everything. I don't know about you, but see, I I'm going to make some bold statements tonight. And that is simply is this. The kingdom or the new covenant, the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. Right, right. As a matter of fact, if it's an addendum to the old one, it wouldn't be called a new covenant. I will make. And Hebrews said when the first one becomes old it's about to wax, it's about to perish it waxes old, it's about to pass off the scene but on the scene comes a brand new covenant. In other words, see I started preaching stuff like years ago about being free from the law how many know that Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law Romans 10 that said Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes a whole lot of scripture about the end of the law. We came to the end of an age we came to the close of one covenant and the birthing of another and since that time people all over the world literally have contacted us or literally have begun to hear the message and a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon that we are free from the law and man they got that side they got one aspect of the message I'm free I'm free oh praise the Lord I'm free I'm so free I'm in your face free I'm Facebook free It's kind of a new phrase i've coined facebook free i've almost i got i got a spot right now today since somebody defriended me i have room for one more friend on my facebook i'm at my limit of what i can have on my personal page you have to go to my public profile now but it's amazing to me the stuff that people post on facebook i found out more about people on facebook than i want to know (laughs) and i mean i want to write them and say just because you can don't mean you should And if you do, don't post a picture on Facebook. It goes viral around the world. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Seen something that you just done. Well, hallelujah. That's quite enlightening. And I'm not a legalist, but I'm telling you, sometimes I'm thinking, you know, that's a little far from me right there. Hallelujah. But what happened is people began to take the message of freedom. And, and, you know, when you first hear I'm free and you've been in bondage your whole life, you're going to test the waters of freedom. Now, how many know that what happens is, if you touch the waters of freedom, what happens most of the time is that we take freedom from everybody else just because one or two people abuse freedom. But I don't know where you're at. How many know we do that sometimes even in our government is we're trying to legislate things to the point where uh, we, we, we don't trust people with freedom. But I don't know where you're at, but I would rather die free than I would to live bound. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I thank God for the freedom that I have found in Christ. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, no longer to be entangled in the yoke of slavery. And when he's talking about that, the context of it is not sin. The context is law and legalism and old covenant things. He's saying, I set you free for freedom's sake. Touch somebody say, thank God I'm free. Thank God for freedom. But how many know with freedom will come some responsibility? So what I begin to realize is when I begin to preach freedom from the law, the people got on that side of the bandwagon, and I'm free. I'm free. Oh, praise the Lord, I'm free. And they heard the side of it that says, I am am free from the law. But see, that's only half the message. The other side of the message is it's not just what in repentance you turn from. Because when you turn from, the word repentance here again means to change one's mind, to change one's bent, to turn about or to turn around, and literally to change one's bent or to have a change or a turnaround. But see, what I began to hear the Spirit of the Lord say to my heart, Pastor Catron, was that the Lord said to me, it's not just what you turn from that I want you to declare in this season. I want you to declare what you turn from, but I also want you to de- declare that when you turn from something, you're not just going to turn from, you're going to turn to something. So, how many of you know Acts chapter 2, verse 38 talks about an untoward generation? And I know that that's a play on word, that untoward means an evil or an adulterous generation, but how many of you know it's because they're not toward anything? Yeah. See, what happened to me when I got free from the law is I turned from, I repented from. Listen, we, we preach a lot about turning from sin, but what about Hebrews 6, verse 1? Repentance from dead works. I believe that would be the biggest altar call I ever gave in human history. Because I believe it's easier to get people delivered from cocaine than it is to get them delivered from religion. And that's evident in the Pharisees and scribes that are standing here as they would rather fight than switch. Because for 1,500 years, that's how Grandpa did it. That's how Grandma did it. We don't want to change nothing, you know. But how many know it's not just what you turn from, it's what you turn toward. Interestingly, enough, it's amazing to me, you think, you know, I think sometimes people think, well, what we're preaching today is radical. Let me tell you what John the Baptist was preaching was radical. Because, I mean, what he did basically is get up and say, everything you thought you knew, wrong. Everything you did yesterday, don't got to do it tomorrow. Now, I've seen churches split over whether or not you had an organ or a piano in it. Or if your piano was Purple. This would have split churches years ago. Somebody help me preach a little bit We we gave an organ to a church Not back some time ago. It took them six months to come and get this organ we gave them When the pastor came to get the organ he said we had a church split Over this organ. I said what in the world would have you know because I would think every church would receive an organ you know they might leave you over drums or a bass And I said, "Well, he said, the people in our church didn't want to receive this organ because of what you all believe." I said, "Well, what do we believe that would make you not want our organ?" It's free. He said, "I don't know what you all believe." I said, "Here's a clue. Our organ doesn't believe what we believe." You put your organ player on it, it'll play your songs. (laughs) So if people will leave you over an organ. Come on, and we get caught in traditions because we don't know the word. Can you imagine, come on, the upheaval when John the Baptist stood up and says, change the way you think. Because we are turning from, we are repenting from dead works. We are turning from the law. But we're not going to leave you without a government, we're going to turn towards the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when our hearts turn toward the Lord, the veil's taken away so we don't just turn from law, but we turn towards the Lord. And when we turn towards the Lord, how many know what's happened is we turn towards a new form of government called the Kingdom of God. Because He was not going to leave us without some form of governing. What had governed us for two, not 2,000, but 1,500 years, when John the Baptist came on the scene was, I call it, Rules on Rocks. That's what govern us. But now Jesus was about to come on the scene and he wasn't about to give you a government that was flowing from rules on rocks. He was going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you because John said, I baptize you with water, but the one that's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. This ain't going to be rules on rocks. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to write my law in your heart. I'm going to put the Holy Ghost inside of you. And what you realize then is the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. And you can even look at it like this because see, we think that scripture and we think the kingdom of god is not meat and drink and we say well that's not pie and turkey and prime rib but that's what of course that's what we think the kingdom is because we think when we get to heaven we're gonna have a really big meal (laughs) touch your neighbor said had two of them today (laughs) didn't even have to go to heaven to get it (laughs) hallelujah hallelujah and it was shocking if I told you I was in heaven when I did eat it. Hallelujah. I'll just leave that be. Because <laughs> I'm in the kingdom right now. But what he was saying, see, we think about things in terms of our mindset. But he's really in the idea, they're saying, the kingdom of God is not about meat offerings. It's not about drink offerings. It's not about divers washings. It's not about old covenant rituals and observations and divers washings. But what the kingdom of God is, it is righteousness. It is peace. It is joy. And it's located in the Holy Ghost. And if you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the kingdom inside of you. Hallelujah. You've already seen Shift it! <laughs> Come on, from an external form, you have turned from a life of sin to a life that is lived from within. Hallelujah. From a life that flows from an inner source, a divine. Come on, in the new covenant, he don't just give you, he don't just give a bankrupt humanity a bunch of rules. He said, What I'm going to do is this new covenant. I'm going to write my law in your heart. See, under the old covenant, it was thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. In the new covenant, God. Said, here's the covenant that I will make I will write my law I will remember your sins and iniquities I will I will I will I will and I will for anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation this book provides true biblically based answers through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.